Amen. And good morning. Welcome to church. It is great to see you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you before, welcome. Glad you could be here. And it is my privilege to get to dive into God's Word together with you this morning. We have been going through with Pastor Dave a series called Verses for Life and been looking at some of the, I guess you could say, ultimate greatest verses that impact the way we see God and live life in this world. And I've been kind of looking forward to my first one to share with you guys because I thought I could pick something really popular or something that is really personal to me, and so I kind of picked the latter. I picked something that I've been struggling with since I was a little kid, this topic, this idea, and I know many of you have too. And it's an idea that I think is evidenced by what I call the most popular saying that any kid anywhere ever in all time has ever said. Um, I speak from experience as a parent now with my own kids having said this 150 trillion times. I speak as a youth pastor over the years having worked with kids and heard them speak this a million and a half times each um, per day, um, per hour. But um, no, it's not the phrase thank you or I appreciate you or I value you. That would be a, a great world, wouldn't it? Where that's the most common thing that came out of kids' mouths. But To me, the most popular phrase is often, and if you put yourself in your childhood shoes, you'll remember this phrase, that's not fair, (laughs) right? I think think it's kind of the alma mater of childhood, right? That's not fair. It's one of the most common things that if if you remember back to your childhood, you remember, it's like you came out of the womb with this sense or ideal of what's fair and what's not in the world. And, uh, you know, it's not fair if you can't do something you want to do. It's not fair if your brother or sister gets more than you. It's not fair if that friend can do that and their parents let them do that, but you can't. Um, Life, you just realize at this stage, is really unfair. And it's kind of like we've always been appealing in some sense in our nature to the way we think things should be. Right? And if you think about it, when you said or when kids say, that's not fair, what they're really saying at the end of the day, not that they've... They've weighed out justice and and virtues, and not that they've looked at things from the beginning to the end, and they've seen what is dangerous in life and what isn't, and that something isn't fair. What they're really saying is, look, I don't like the way this is going. (laughs) And on top of that, I'm somehow owed that things are going to go my way. (laughs) Those kind of two things are at play when kids say life isn't fair. That's not fair, Mom. That's not fair, Dad. And if you think about it that way, Well, then in reality, I think kind of all of us, and you look at the world around us and the way we function as adults, I think we're still pretty often operating under that very same premise. So we might not say that's not fair, but man, how often do things go on in life? And you look at it and you go, well, I was doing all the right things. Why does that person get that? Why are those people getting away with that? I was doing things the right way. I thought things were supposed to go better for me. Why did I have this loss or difficulty? It's like most of our frustrations in life kind of come down to this this way of thinking and viewing things. That's not really, why me, God? That's not fair. And if you've ever, well, if if you find yourself kind of falling into that way of thinking, which I do often, then you'll probably really be able to relate to the guy we're going to look at this morning. If ever there was someone in the scriptures who could say, that's not fair, If ever there was someone who could look at their life and be like, look, this shouldn't be happening to me. It's this guy. The guy, his name is Job. You've probably heard of him before, and he probably came to mind for some of you as I say that, and you think of life not being fair. If ever there was someone who could say life's not fair, it's this guy named Job. And the scripture verse he's going to share this this morning, or the, the verse for life that we call it, 
that we're going to look at this morning kind of comes from his life in a time where he could have said that's not fair. And it's one of those verses that honestly, when it comes up in life, usually things are going pretty bad. It's not one of those verses that is, you know, motivationally people get tattooed on their arm or something, or, you know, you see the Christian companies with it on their shirts. It's not something you put up in your house when you walk in. Uh, It's not one of those verses, but it's one of those verses for me that I've struggled with, that I've wrestled with all my life. And, And there's a difference between just memorizing this verse, which many of you have already done. If you sang worship this morning, you already sang half the verse. So good job. You're already on your way to memorizing this, this verse for life. But There's a difference between just memorizing this and really wrestling with this, meditating on it, and getting it as as part of the way you view life. Because when you do that, it changes a lot. And so we'll we'll look at the life of Job, and then we'll get into this verse in just a moment. Many of you know Job, or have heard of Job, um, have gone through the book of Job, and you know it's a book about a struggle. Really, it's it's, it's a look at the life of Job and and a tragedy that happens, and kind of the ensuing chapters are arguing and debating on how you should look at what happened. And Job, if you don't know his story, I'll just give you a little background in chapter one. Job was a guy who right out of the gate, the book of Job tells us he was an awesome guy. I mean, no mistakes about it. In the first verse, Job is called blameless before God. Throughout the entire book, God brags about Job constantly. Twice he tells Satan as he talks to him that Job is blameless and without fault. Job is called, it's said that Job fears God and shuns evil and is a righteous guy. It's like, it goes out of the way to tell us that Job is one of those stand-up guys that you look at in life and you're like, man, that guy, that person is, they're dependable, they're awesome, they're steady with God. And then it goes from telling us on Job's character side of things, how Job was, to showing us the blessings in Job's life. You see, Job had an amazing family. He had, not only was he righteous, but he had three daughters and seven sons. He had this big family, and we're told multiple times that his family got together, and the, the sons and daughters would get together, and they would celebrate feasts and, 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 and have celebrations together. It was like, I mean, I know from, from having kind of a, a mixed-up family that, that it's not always easy on holidays to get everybody together and to get everybody on the same page, yet Job had ten kids, and all of them were, they were together. They were a unified group, and it's like, it's it's showing us how blessed Job was in his family life. It tells us in Job chapter 1 that Job was rich. He was wealthy. He had this vast livestock empire, if you would. And um, he was the greatest man, it says in chapter 1, in all of the ancient Near East. It's a pretty amazing thing. He was the greatest by reputation. He was a stand-up guy with God. He had this amazing, booming business. His kids and his family were going well. And the scene that's kind of painted as we're introduced to Job in that book is that Job was this guy who had it all right in life. He did the right things, and because of that, he had this really blessed life. But while that is being painted here as the scene on earth, there's another scene going on in heaven. It's kind of a a different one, one that we're not too familiar with. It says, "The, the sons of God came before the Lord at this certain appointed time. We don't really know exactly what that means, but it's presumed that these were angels in charge of different realms or things, and they came before the Lord to kind of present what was going on and to to give an account of themselves, kind of like a divine counsel, if you would. And amongst these sons of God coming before the Lord, there's one called Satan who comes before him. Now, the word there, it's not just the the name Satan, like that was his name, you know, his first name and, and then his last name or something like that. It was actually the title of him. 
Satan, it was ha-Satan. It was like the Satan came before the Lord. Now, the word Satan means, it's like adversary, contender. And so it was saying, look, there came one before God. Now, of course, I, I believe this to be the devil, Satan himself. But there came one before the Lord who had this adversarial nature, who wanted to contend with God. And God looks at him and goes, hey, what have you been doing? And, and Satan says, I've been going to and fro on the earth. And God now brags about Job. He goes, have you seen my servant Job? How there's no one like him in all the land, blameless and upright before me. And Satan now looks at him and he goes, yeah, but does Job fear you for nothing? Right, essentially saying, look, it's kind of like a job. We all go to work. So we get, a, we get a paycheck at the end of the day. And he goes, Job's figured this out in life. I serve you. It's kind of like my job. And you bless me in return. It's my paycheck. And he's like, he doesn't work for you for free. He's not doing this out of the kindness of his heart. And God goes, really? And Job goes, yeah. You hedge him with protection around him. You bless him with all these things in his life. Take those away. And Job will curse you. And God goes, go. All that he has is in your power. Right? And the very next scene of the book kind of unfolds where now we see back on earth Satan get involved in Job's life. And it's a tragic day for Job. Like I said, if anyone could say it was unfair, it would be Job. Imagine starting your day. His children are off up at their oldest son's house celebrating a feast or a festival, some kind of ceremony at that time. And his children are there um, all together. Job's not with them. And we're told that in runs a servant to Job down at Job's house, wherever Job is at, and says, Job, I've got horrible news. He's out of breath. He runs in. He goes, I alone have escaped, but the Sabaeans, our neighbors, have swept in and they've wiped out all your oxen and all your donkeys and they've killed all your servants. It's kind of an aspect of his business, if you would, his empire. These were the work animals. These were the things that got things done. They were the, the grinders, the laborers, if you would. And he's saying, look, overnight in your business... That whole aspect has been wiped out. That would bum anyone out. That would be a big problem to solve. But before that is even finished settling for Job and he can do anything about it, a second servant runs in and he goes, Job, I've got horrible news. I was out in the field and a, and a great fire or lightning came from heaven and it struck all the sheep and all of your sheep and all of your servant, uh, servants out there serving are dead. I mean, this is a bigger deal for Job because this is like, hey, listen, the bank has gone under and all your assets are gone. The stock market has crashed and everything is wiped out. You're blanked. Everything you've been investing in, the sheep in those days were kind of your, your valuable commodity and your 14,000 sheep, which is like hundreds of millions of dollars in our day and age, are gone. All of your cash, all of your bank accounts drained. Everything is gone. And not just that, but your servants are gone. And before he can even wrestle with this and deal with this, a third guy runs in, right? You get in the picture here. It's a bad day for Job. Your third guy, this is like, I would have just handed in the keys and walked out at this point. But the third guy runs in and he goes, hey, Job, I've got a horrible news. The Chaldeans, our other neighbors, have swept in and they've taken out all of our, our uh, camels. I know that seems like no big deal to us, right, camels? But it's like, this is his mobile force, right? The camels were the ones that went far distances, took things, carried people. It's like your uber force is gone, Right? And, 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 he's, and he goes, and all the servants that were with them are gone. And in one day now, these three tragedies have struck. The neighbors have taken things out. The fire from heaven has come down and wiped out. And Job's assets, Job's business, Job's career that he spent his entire life building up. He's an old man here. 
is gone, wiped out, pulled out from underneath his feet. As if that wasn't bad enough, a fourth and final servant runs in. And you know the story. This is the saddest one of all. And this fourth servant runs in. He goes, man, Job, I've got horrible news. I was at your son's house, your oldest son's house, where all your sons and daughters were. And they were celebrating a feast together. And out of nowhere, a great wind came. And it struck the four corners of the house, and the house collapsed. Your kids, Job, are dead. All of them. Man, what a sad scene. Imagine this as a parent. Your kids are all together celebrating. If my kids can spend five minutes together, I am one of the happiest parents in the entire world. Here his kids are without him. They're meddling with things. They are celebrating. They are feasting together. And the idea is, man, they are getting along. And out of nowhere comes this wind that blows down the house and wipes out his entire family. What a horrible, horrible. I mean, I've had some bad days, but nothing like this. Your 10 kids dying in one day, your business, you're gutted. I mean, everyone but his wife is taken out. I mean, God must have, or Job must have, or Satan must have looked at his wife and been like, you know what? She's better to leave alive than to take. I don't know what kind of testimony that is about her. She's some Karen or something. But like, God, Satan just looked at her and was like, you're good. We'll keep you. This is better off. That she later on tells Job to curse God and die. You know, so it's, it, it, it's, it's, but beyond that, everything in Job's life has been, has been ripped out from underneath him. This horrible scene, it should ruin anyone. Almost unfathomable, unfathomable as far as pain goes. Right? And from Job's perspective at this point, you would say, this is completely unfair. I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes and maybe you've been in a deep tragedy like this, you know the feeling that it instantly comes. Why me? Haven't I done the right things in life? Haven't I made the right choices? Wasn't I doing what you wanted me to do, God. So why are things going this way? Isn't Job righteous? Isn't Job supposed to be the one that God continues to bless because Job is doing the right thing? And then all of a sudden you find it here. But it's so interesting because at this point, Job, he never asks why. And you'll find if you go through the entire book of Job, God never answers the why. He never gives Job the why. You know, I I think we so often want to know why for everything with God. We look at the tragedies, we look at loss, we look at things that aren't going our way, and we're like, why, God? Why did I lose out on this? Why? But I don't know. As As I looked at Job and I realized the way he handled this, I think there's something more than just the why in life. We sometimes think the why is going to be enough, but it never will. Because what's more important than the why, every single time, is the how. How, in the midst of this, can I keep moving forward? How can I continue on? How should I even look at and view life when something like this happens? Why doesn't help you take that next step? How does? And to this, to this tragedy, to this situation, Job, we're going to see, he answers that how. He turns to God, and instead of asking why, he turns to God and he goes, listen, and he's going to give us the the verse that we have. But the first thing that he does, just so you know this about Job, the first thing in verse 20 it says that he does in response to this is he tears his robe, he shaves his head and his beard, and he falls to the ground. It's like this picture, this scene of a man who has been gutted. 
They would symbolically in the ancient Near East tear their robes and shave their head to show. It's almost like saying, listen, I am torn apart and I am laid bare. This is so painful. This is so hurtful. And this is so deeply gutting for me that I want to show it physically. And we find as he's doing this, he falls to the ground and it says in verse 20 that Job worships the Lord. It's kind of an interesting phrasing there. He falls to the ground, so on his knees, and then he worships the Lord. The word there for worship isn't just like, oh, he sang a song to God. Isn't like, oh, he turned on worship music. The, the word there, the root of that word means to bow down. And it would be used of, of people before they made sacrifices to God, before they went out to the Lord and they did something reverential or in respect. It was like this idea of, listen, life has cut this man to the core. It has laid him bare. He is stripped open. And he falls to his knees. And life has beaten him down that far. And it was at that point that he said, you know what, God? I want to submit to you in this moment. I'm not asking why. I'm not saying this is unfair, this is not right. He goes, but in this moment I have a choice to make. I'm either going to submit to you or I'm going to submit to my will and my questions and my reasons. And in that moment of submission, he says this. Look at verse 21 of Job chapter 1 with me. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an unbelievable statement. It's not like it's coming from a robot. It's not like it's coming from a guy who didn't just lose everything and just thought in his head, oh, well, those kids were brats anyways. You know, they, all they wanted was my money. They wanted me to die so they could, he didn't have wealth to give them anymore. It was like everything was ripped from him and he looked at this laid bare, torn open before everyone. And he came to this point where he said, look, there's a certain way, there's a certain how that I have to look at this and I have to submit to. It's not about the why. It's about the how. And to me, this verse, as I said, it's something I've struggled with all my life because when you get it, it brings so much meaning and value to your life. But when you don't, there is so much frustration so much anger and bitterness at some of the things that we can go through as people. And so he starts with this idea, as he's explaining this, of, of nakedness. Right? He says, naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going to leave. Right? Now, this isn't one of the most comfortable truths to sit and wrestle with. Not just because he's talking about nakedness, and you don't want to talk, think about that too long. It's kind of awkward. But like, what he's getting at when he says naked is something much deeper here. He's getting at this idea of, listen... Nakedness means nothing. Nakedness means uncovered and stripped away. He goes, the, the simple fact is, is I came into this world with nothing and I leave with nothing. I mean, if you think about it, if you've ever been a parent and you've ever held your little baby in your arms, I remember this when my kids were born and they hand me my kids in the, in the, the operating room there and it's like, they hand me this little baby that has nothing. I mean, it's not even covered, this little, you know, naked ball of life. <laughs> there's no job, there's no value, there's no personality, there's no um, image to uphold, and there's no microphone problems. There's, no, uh, there's none of that, right? 
these little, it's like that's how you start life. And he goes, that's also how you end life in some sense. Just a bigger baby, you know, but you've got nothing. You've got nothing to claim, nothing to hold on to. And, and, and Job says, look, if I understand this, then I understand if I came in with nothing and I leave with nothing, I've got to take what's in the middle with a grain of salt because it wasn't meant to last. It wasn't meant to be permanent in my life. And that's the uncomfortable truth that I think some of us don't ever want to to recognize and face, right? He's saying, listen, there are going to be times in our lives, if you were to speak to us here today, where you're going to be stripped back, where you're going to lose out, where the things that you depend on, the things that you thought were so vital and so crucial to your life, well, God, for whatever reasons he might have, will choose to allow those to be taken away, will choose to allow the season to change. I mean, think of all the different things you've gone through and been through in life. And one of the things I do, I have a habit of, is my wife kind of taught me this, is um, I keep a little note in my, in my iPhone, a little note in my notes section, and it's called my life timeline. And it's been kind of fun to just keep it updated with everything that I think is kind of cool or notable that's happened in my life, good and bad, right? From birth in Huntington Beach, California, to moving at the age of two, to, to Lake Forest, right? So I have all these things, and it's kind of interesting to go through and just look at the timeline of your life sometimes, and think back to the events that have happened. As I did that this week, I was looking at this passage, and I, I kind of just noticed some interesting things. I have worked 14 different jobs throughout my life. I have moved 13 different times throughout the 40 years I've been alive. I've had eight different cars and trucks. Trucks were far better than the cars. I've been married. I've, uh, I've had kids. I've been to this place and that place. And I'm going through the list, and I realized something, though. At the time that I was going through these things, each and every one of them seemed so vital and forever in my life. From my parents, their relationship to me as a, as a son, from my brothers, from my children even. But I have to look at that list and I have to face reality and say, you know what? A lot of that is gone. A lot of that is going. It's almost like I'm in one of those two states, going or gone in my life right now with most of the things that God gives me. And if I expect any of that to be permanent, I'm fooling myself. And you're like, Justin, that sounds incredibly depressing, <laughs> incredibly sad. And it's true, though, right? If you look back on relationships and, and people you've thought were going to be there forever, some of them aren't there anymore. Jobs that you thought would be so uh, defining in your life, well, now they're gone and, and seasons change. Even to the point where I look at my own kids and I'm like, man, I never want them to leave, but I have to be honest. There's this aspect of even having my own kids where if it's healthy, they're going. I know that there's going to be a day where they're out of my house and they're gone. And I hope they're never gone from my life, but I'm fooling myself if I think my kids, my spouse, my job, my this, my that is forever, because none of it is. And Job strips it back to this, and he goes, look, you came in naked and you're leaving naked. And sometimes when you look at life and think all of this is going to last forever, all of this, then you've mixed things up. And you've now put more value, put more focus on serving what Paul would say over in Romans chapter 1, the creation rather than the creator. 
And it's what kind of flows on, because you could see this and you're like, wow, that's kind of cold and callous, Job. That's kind of depressing and nihilistic. Doesn't nothing have value or meaning anymore if I look at it like that? And Job would say, no, kind of follow me on here. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. As As he continues on, he goes, look, you have to understand the next thing. That this isn't all yours. This is God's. And what gives these things meaning and value is that God has brought them into your life. But also remember that it's God who they all belong to in the end. Right? So much of, of us when we think life isn't fair, so much of the way we look at the world sometimes is this way of thinking, look, everything good is owed to us. Right? We say, according to me, God, life is not fair. According to me, Lord, I shouldn't experience this. According to me and what I want, God, this shouldn't be happening in my life. And Job is kind of slowing it down for us and saying, no, 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 you've lost perspective. I know where every good thing in my life comes from. And I know ultimately, even though it was Satan who was ripping this out of his life, I know ultimately that it all belongs to God in the end. You see, when you can't learn to have this perspective, you don't really have a a right way of looking at God when things are taken out of your life, right? Because everything is owed to you because everything and, and all the good belongs to you. When God takes things out or allows things to be removed from your life, you suddenly don't know what to do with God. You're like, either he's a monster or a tyrant up there or he's not real. Because I thought God was supposed to do things my way. I thought God was supposed to do things the way I wanted to work out in my life. And Job, this guy who's ripped apart, right? Job is speaking to us and he's going, look, you have to recognize something about life. You have to recognize something about all those good blessings that you have. All those things that you look at and you say, man, this is is mine. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Why did I lose my job? Why did this relationship end? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why is someone so unfair to me? How come this happened, Lord? You forget this, and you forget who's really in charge. Now, suddenly in your head, God owes you an answer to everything. And you want God to work everything out according to your will, not his will. But what did Jesus teach us to pray? Not my will, but thy will be done. Right? And if you flip this upside down, God is subject to how you think your life should go, not you subject to him. You've turned yourself into God, thinking that you know what's best. And you're right back into that childhood naivety that says, I know what's best, God. I know the beginning from the end. And the Lord looks at us and he goes, look, I'm the one who knows what needs to happen in life. It may not be easy, and it may not be what you want. Look, there are certain things that are going to happen in our lives, certain losses we're going to take, that you might see this side of the grave, the exact reason why God did that. Right? James, over in James chapter 1, says in verses 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials or difficult things, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And patience, when it's had its complete work, will leave you full and perfect, lacking nothing. What James says is like, be happy that you get into really hard things because God's working on your character. And you're going to see that come to fruition. And that's awesome. There are going to be some times where 
it's going to be easier to be happy about certain losses. You know, you might get out of that relationship, you might have dodged that bullet, and one day you look back and you go, whew, I am so glad God took another path. But there are going to be other things in our life, and this is just the way it works, where we're not going to understand it. We're not going to get at this side of heaven. It's in those moments where, I mean, I think Paul's, or Peter's talking about that over in 1 Peter 4, where he just says, listen, there's some times where you just, your sufferings are so that you can relate to the sufferings of Christ. And we might not understand everything and every reason why we suffer, every tragic thing in our life, but what Job has said and what Job has learned to live by is this. Listen, there's something that goes far beyond just getting a why when things don't go your way. It's understanding and and submitting to the fact that ultimately in the end, if he really is God, then I have to bow my knee at one time or another to the fact that he is God and I'm not. And he will do things his way, not mine. And if we can't come to that fact or conclusion, man, it just bitters our life. It just, it tears us apart because we now don't know how to look at God. We're like, who are you? What are you? But Job would say he's the same good God. And I know that might on the surface sound unfair or harsh, but if you really really take take this week to meditate on this and really make sure as you put this in and try to memorize this, you get this down, as you really understand this, I think you'll find that it gives so much more value and meaning to what God does give us rather than what we don't have. If you can learn to take this perspective, you understand that everything in your life is a gift from God. Everything is a blessing from God. We act like it's owed to us, but God says, listen, nothing is owed to you. I know that if you work hard, there's tenets in the Bible that say, listen, you work hard and you're faithful, God is going to bless that. It's totally true, but in the end, that blessing comes from God, not us. And when you begin to realize that, that even the blessings that you work hard for and get in life because you show up early, you work hard, you dedicate yourself to something, when you learn to look at those as not something owed to you but as blessings from God, you begin to find that, listen, those things have so much more value and richness to them. I think, I I mean, I think one of the, the greatest mistakes we make in life is when we take things for granted. I think it's one of the worst, and I hear it so often as a pastor, people who look back at the past and they go, I wish I had done that differently. I wish I had spent more time with them. I wish, (laughs) I wish I, I wish I had changed this or that in my life. I'll try not moving, be perfectly still. If you think about it, most of the regrets we have in life are because we want to go back to a different stage or time where we could take things more seriously, value a relationship or something. I have so many people, because I have, I have young kids, a 10-year-old and 12-year-old, I have so many people come up to me and they say, cherish the time you have with them because it's over before you know it, right? I wish I could go back and I could take all those years back and I wish I could not complain about it anymore. But what happens is we take it for granted and we complain about things and we whine about things when they don't go our way. I think Job would say to us, no, listen, you want to know why I was such a good dad and hyped up in the beginning of the chapter? It was because I knew this going into it. These things are blessings from God. Why don't I take care of my family so well? Why did I work so hard? Why did I build all this up? Is because I valued and appreciated what God has blessed me with. 
and I wasn't going to take it for granted. So it makes that old song, Cats in the Cradle, by Harry Chapin so powerful, right? You remember that song? He gets to the part where he's like, you know, it's, it's so sad, though, all the, all the verses and all the, even the chorus where, where he's talking about just not realizing how valuable life was and, and the role he had as a father. And, you know, when you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. It's so haunting for so many of us, right? You don't even have to have kids to understand the sentimentality of that, that life is precious. One of the biggest mistakes I think we make is just taking things for granted or as owed to us because then we don't value them. Then we don't take care of them. And Job is helping us to realize that. He goes, look, you're going to get bitter. You're going to get entitled if you can't get this. It's like a few years ago, I took our youth group. Every year, we used to go to the Angels games. And I took our youth group and the kids out to an Angels game. And usually, I had to plan something to do around the fourth or fifth inning because that's when they started getting killed and and murdered. And the kids would get bored, and they'd all want to leave early. And so I kind of came up with this game. Uh, It was like trade up for the greater seat. So what I did was I had all the kids go, if they were bored, which they almost always were because it's the angels. I love them, but I hate them too. Um, They were bored around the fourth or fifth inning. I would send all the kids out with a leader and I'd say, hey, here's the game. Whatever seat you guys can sneak into, whoever finds themselves in the best seat and can send me a selfie from there, you know, I'll buy you guys lunch or, you know, some kind of snack or something. So they had all spread out throughout the stadium. And I remember one year, one of the the older uh, high school boys came up to me and they're like, Justin, come on we need you to take us down to the Diamond Club. Now, the Diamond Club is right behind home plate, and you got to have, like, really good access to get in there. And, and I'm like, guys, I can't get, I, we can't get into the Diamond Club. And they're like, we have a plan. And this kid named Brandon goes, listen, I'm going to cause a giant scene with the ushers over here, and I'm going to be good. You guys all just sneak in the back. I probably shouldn't be telling you guys this, but anyways, I'm like, dude, this sounds awesome. Let's go. Let's get you arrested. And so we, you know... <laughs> We head on down to the Diamond Club, and Brandon makes this giant scene, and he's like rolling on the ground, and he's doing all this stuff, and, and all these ushers are over there, and so we sneak down, and we get right behind home plate. It was like awesome. Right there, and we're like, we could see ourselves on TV, and you know, it's the worst place a bunch of high school boys could be, by the way. And so they're like, we, we spent a few innings in there, and um, they didn't kick us out, and we were so surprised. We're like, yes, and we're enjoying the game, and it was the only way you can enjoy a game when you're, you know, an, at least an Angels fan, um, with something else to focus on, and so we're, <laughs> we're hanging out there, and then another group of kids, they all kind of sneak down, and they weren't from our group, and they sit right in front of us, and they sit in the row in front of us, and these kids are like, you can tell they snuck in too, and I'm sitting with my kids, and they instantly get all bitter, They're all angry, like, what are these dumb kids doing here? They're going to get us kicked out. And sure enough, these kids who are so excited get, you know, draw the attention. Because now you got like 20 high school age boys sitting behind home plate. And you know they didn't pay for tickets. And so this giant group of boys, all the ushers come down and they kick us out. And I have never heard such a bitter, grumpy group of boys in my life than these high school boys as we're walking out. And they're going, those stupid kids, they got us kicked out of here. Those idiots, they didn't even know what they were doing. I was like, I looked at them like, guys, you didn't deserve to be here either. Like, and furthermore, you didn't even pay for the cheap nosebleed seats that we had up in, you know, left field. Someone from the church donated those to you. Like, but that's how entitlement works, right? You get used to something, it becomes a part of what you're doing, and all of a sudden you see someone else gets something better or something gets taken from you, and you're like, man, that's not fair. That's not right. And it's kind of the same way with almost everything in our lives. The way that Job's laying it out here, he's like, don't you understand you came in naked and you're leaving naked? 
Don't you understand everything at one season or another in between is going to come and go? And for you to sit here and think that everything is owed to you and that everything should always go the way you want means that I'm not really in charge. You think you are. And there are some difficult things that happen to us in life. I'm not going to sit here and say this, that I came up with this verse. This is Job, a man ripped apart, torn open, mourning. This wasn't like what made him suddenly get through this, this tough time. This was Job, a man who's stripped bare and, and saying this through tears. He's saying, look, I've had to come to this point where I realize not everything in life is about me. And there's something greater going on because it's God who gives and God who takes away. And when I learn to value what God has given, I can be okay with him taking it away. I may not like it. I may, not compl- I may complain about it, and that's okay. The rest of the book of Job is conversations with him essentially grumbling and complaining about it. Guys who are supposed to be comforters coming to him who really just made him feel horrible. You find three times throughout the book of Job that Job goes into these long, lengthy prayers where he's kind of working out the logistics of this statement, and he's complaining as he does it. Because I wish I cursed the day I was born. I wish I'd never been born. This hurts so much, God. But at the very end of the book, God looks at Job and says, in all this, Job was sinless. He goes, man, it was okay he complained to me. You know why? Because he was talking to me. It's okay if you go through something difficult and you're hurting and you're going to God and you're like, I don't, this hurts God. Why is this happening, God? But nonetheless, Lord, you give and you take away. That's what prayer says. Listen, God, it's you I'm going to. As you wind it down here and you begin to kind of see this, you get to the point where now you can say, you know what, Lord? You give, you take away, but blessed be your name. Because I'm not God. And at the end, I have to come to the conclusion that you are God. And if you are wise and you are powerful and you truly are God, then you are good. So blessed be your name because you're the one who gave in the first place. I'm not going to curse you because you took away. You're the one who gave me the very breath I have to live this life. So I'm going to say, you know what, God, I'm going to submit to you and say, you know what, it's not me that's in charge, it's you. So blessed be your name. There's a certain place where in your life you get to this spot where you've been through it and you've lived and you've You've hurt and you've, you've seen it all and, and you look at what is going to last in life and you have to come to this conclusion that everything in the middle isn't going to last but there is one thing that will and that's God. There is one thing that continues on to do good in your life and that's the Lord. No matter what's been taken, no matter what loss you've had. I mean, my daughter kind of reminded me of this recently. She she broke her leg playing soccer about three weeks ago. And it was a big deal at our house. You know, it was like first real good. Well, she's actually the gnarly one. She's broken her arm too. So I guess it wasn't the first broken bone in our house. But she broke her leg playing soccer on a Sunday. And she was playing a boys team. And her girls team was smoking this boys team. And she is, she, both my kids are really good at soccer, but she was killing it this day. And she was scoring goals and all this stuff. And so, you know, the boys were a little bit embarrassed. And they decided, you know, we need to take it out on the girls. So they started just just fouling them. And I'm not talking about those fake soccer fouls you see on TV where the wind blows and they roll over 800 times. And, you know, this is like, so this one guy comes behind her and just 
dives and two-footed tackles her and breaks her leg. And it was a gnarly, gross tackle. And it was pretty frustrating for her. It was a, you know, she went to the ER and was so scared, didn't know what was going to happen. We had to set up appointments with an orthopedic surgeon and, and all of this. And so as we're waiting for these appointments, my wife and I, we just got kind of frustrated and mad. No one from the club called us. No one took responsibility. No, the other kid who did this didn't even get sent out of the game or punished or anything like that. It was like no one from the other team called to apologize. It was nothing. It was silence total lack of responsibility. We were like, man, we should email these people. And my wife wanted to email the mom and the other kid and be like, you're raising a horrible... I'm like, no, no, no. Like, and you know that feeling, right? Somebody's messed with your kid and somebody's done something in life that you don't like. And we kind of just came to the conclusion at the end that we were like, nothing's going to help. So we were frustrated and frustrated and mad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm driving. I took my daughter few weeks ago to go see the doctor and to get either her cast on or to figure out if she needed surgery. We didn't know at the time. And we're cruising in the car and she had been so scared up to this point, but she looked at me and she was all happy. She goes, dad, I am cool with my broken leg. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's good. You know, I feel so bad for you, sweetie. Like, this isn't fair at all. You shouldn't have to go through this. And she's like, no, it's okay. She goes, I knew that this is only going to make me better. I was like, wow. And she goes, not just in soccer, but in life. I was like, man, this little 10-year-old is always showing me something I wish I'd seen. And then she said something that really got me. And she goes, because God knows. And I was like, God knows what? And she goes, just God knows. He knows. <laughs> he knows what I'm going through. He knows it's unfair. He, you know, all those things. God knows. And it instantly drew me to Job, where he goes, listen, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It's like there has to come this point in your life when you're going through things where you're going to say, look, it's either my will or your will, Lord. But it's okay, God, you know. It's okay, God, you give, you take away. It's okay, God, blessed be your name. If we can't get to that, then who are we following? If we can't get to that point of submitting to God, who's in charge, us or him? The moment we begin to do that is the moment we don't necessarily feel better about everything. I'm not promising that. And I'm not promising that you won't hurt for a lifetime for some of the things you'll go through. But it's the moment you learn your how. How can I go forward? How can I go on? And you can spend all your life shouting to God for the why. But what really matters is that how. How can I move forward, Lord? God would look at all of us and he would say, listen, I have something good that I will bless your life with. But know that not all of that is permanent. The only thing that's permanent is me. And I will be here for you. Well, how do I know I can trust God? How do I know he'll be here? How do I know that he's really a good God? After all, I mean, here's the great thing. We have what Job didn't have. We have the full story. We have a look back at a God who loves us so very much that he would give his only begotten son for us, that he would die on a cross for you and for me. As if to say, you want to know that I will be there for you in the end? You want to know that everything that seems so unfair in your life will be righted one day? Know this. Here's my down payment. Here's my security that one day you will look back and you will see that I was wiser and that I had a plan for your life that 
Maybe you didn't understand at the time, but you will one day. He goes, my son gave his life for you. If anything was unfair, it was that a perfect, sinless God would go to a cross for us. If anything is unjust, it would be that he took our place on that cross. That, as Pastor Dave preached, by his stripes we were healed. It's like he was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. If we need any guarantee that God will right every wrong, then look no further than that cross. And trust him, because that is the type of God you're trusting. That is the type of God that you're putting your faith in when you say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so very much. As we just talked about, that's the type of God you are. One who loves us so dearly and deeply that you would give your only begotten son for us. That if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but have everlasting life, Lord. And the fact and reality is that we go through a lot in this world that is going to seem unfair, and painful, and unjust. But Lord, it's you that give, and it's you that take away. It's none of us that are owed anything in this world. And the fact that you would give your life for us shows us that you're the type of God who will take care of us in the end. Help us to trust that. Help us to trust you, Lord, in a way that doesn't look at our our lives and the things we're going through and demand a why right now, but really looks at them and say, how can we move forward? Help us to value the things that you do give us, Lord, the blessings that we do have. Help us to not take things for granted, but to look at our lives and say, God, how can I make the most out of what you have given me? Because it's not going to last forever. And this is a blessing for you, so I should take care of it. Help us to not just be people who go through the motions of life, but people who are rooted in valuing the things that you've given us. That one day, Lord, when they're gone, we might look back and say, God, I did the most with what you gave me. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand real quick as we close in a final song here. just want to encourage you that there will be people after the service who would love to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, if you're going through something right now and maybe feel like you're taking a loss in life, maybe feel like things aren't fair, then these guys,